This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, everyone. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Alhamdulillah, I tonight we're joined by a very special guest, uh, Dr. Jihad Safir, alhamdulillah, from LA, Islah LA. Uh, Dr. Jihad, welcome to the show. Alhamdulillah, it's a pleasure to be here before everyone. Alhamdulillah. So Dr. Jihad, alhamdulillah, um, someone that, that does um, vital work, alhamdulillah, in the community. He's an imam. He runs uh, probably one of the most important organizations in North America, alhamdulillah, Islah LA, which everyone should support, alhamdulillah. They're doing work that is uh, truly filling a void, alhamdulillah, and he uh, just finished his PhD, alhamdulillah, just a few months ago. We were talking about that, alhamdulillah. And uh, he is his next goal is to embark on uh, getting Sheikh Abdullah's biceps. We were talking about that before, <laughs> before the show started. We're trying to, <laughs> we're, we were debating before before we started what takes longer to get Sheikh Abdullah's biceps or to get a PhD. So, uh, <laughs> alhamdulillah. Uh, so, Doctor Jihad, tell us about Islah Alay really quick, like what the work that you're doing with Islah, inshallah. Well, Islah Alay, Alhamdulillah, we, we're on the shoulders of giants who came before us, you know, so I want to definitely, my father, Imam Sadiq Safir, and others, the pioneering communities um, that came before us. So we we are a product of uh, Temple 27 and also Masjid Ibadullah, which was opened in 1986. So today, Alhamdulillah, we have a full-time food pantry. We have Islah Academy, which is a private school. We're teaching Quran and Arabic language and also some of the uh, you know core sciences uh, on Crenshaw and Slauson. This is in South Los Angeles. We also have uh, four homes, uh, four transitional houses, uh, two for uh, formerly incarcerated and also uh, homeless women and formerly incarcerated and homeless uh, men. So we're doing the work. Um, you know, we're on the front lines in South Los Angeles and. I'm, I'm, it's a pleasure being here before you all. You know, I think, you know, we get a, a lot of inspiration from the work of uh, you, Imam, and then also of uh, Yaqeen. So, Alhamdulillah. Zakallah khair, Shaykh. Appreciate all that you do, Alhamdulillah, Rameen. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, inshallah ta'ala, we'll go ahead and get started. So, Alhamdulillah, Rameen, we're coming to the Juz uh, 16 now. So, we have passed uh, the first half of the Quran. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to have an accepted second half of Ramadan and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to observe Laylatul Qadr, Allahumma Ameen. And this is of course a juz that contains I think the favorites of many uh, different people uh, who reflect on the Quran. There are often people that will be asked, what is your favorite surah of the Quran? And a lot of them will say Surah Maryam, for example. And that is of course in this juz. As SubhanAllah, you know, before Ramadan, I was talking about Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the way he talked about how we should read the Qur'an. And uh, I love Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu's reflections on the Qur'an. Um, and he was the one that said, whoever loves the Qur'an loves Allah and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he has all of these beautiful narrations about the hawamim, about the uh, different hamims in the Qur'an, the surahs that start with hamim. Uh, he has these beautiful narrations about how to read Qur'an with a pace. He he received the Qur'an, 70 surahs, fresh from the mouth of the Prophet And of course, he was the first to recite the Qur'an publicly. And he says about this particular portion of the Qur'an, just listen to what he says, it's very beautiful. He says about Bani Israel, Surah Bani Israel, which we said is Surah Al-Isra, Al-Kahf, Maryam, Taha, Al-Anbiya. 
So the narration is an authentic narration actually in Bukhari that he says about Surah Bani Israel, Al-Kahf, Maryam, Taha, and Anbiya. Qala innahunna min al-itaq al-awwali wahun min tiladi. He said that these are some of my first earnings and this is some of my most precious old property. Uh, what does he mean by that? They're not talk about that. First of all, they use this as a proof that the tartib, that the way that the Quran is set up, the way the surahs are set up is indeed divine, that the order of the, uh, the surahs is something that comes as a form of revelation as well, because it's significant coming from Ibn Mas'ud uh, in this way. Uh, they also say that what he means by that is that these were some of the first surahs that Ibn Mas'ud revealed to get him through the hard times. You know, when you say, like, those are the old earnings, these are the jewels that I leaned upon uh, for many, many years, and I always go back to them. Uh, these are my tilad, these are my, my, my old earnings. Uh, it, it's really special. So these were surahs that were revealed, of course, in the Mecki phase. All of this is Mecki Quran. They were revealed as the Muslims were undergoing uh, persecution. Um, and they were not revealed in the last phase, uh, per se, of, uh, of, of, uh, of the Meccan phase. But in fact, you see some of these surahs or some portions of these surahs were revealed in the, uh, the middle phase of Mecca. Uh, how do we know that? Because we know, for example, with Surah Maryam, that uh, Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu recited the surah uh, to An-Najashi when he went to Abyssinia. So that is a proof that it is earlier in terms of its revelation. And so this is a juz that contains some of those, those surahs that you really go back on, some of the fundamentals of Islam and some of the very personal stories of the prophets. So there are two things I want you to take from this, inshallah ta'ala. I know we have some beautiful reflections ahead of us. Number one, that this is the da'wah juz. This is the da'wah juz. How is it the da'wah juz? The previous juz, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ud'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmati wal mu'idatul hasana in uh, Surah uh, Al-Isra. To call to the way of Allah with wisdom and with beautiful preaching. This is the juz in which you see wisdom and beautiful preaching. Both in terms of the way that the surahs themselves were, you know, were used in the seerah and in the stories of the prophets themselves and how they will do dua, how they are being instructed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, uh, to, to do da'wah. So first and foremost, from the seerah perspective, again, Surah Maryam uh, is the surah that Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he was with the Muslims. And think about how consequential this moment is with Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the early Muslims. As they are called forth in Abyssinia, where they have fled to seek refuge, and uh, Amr ibn As, as an opponent of Islam at that time, is telling Najashi that these people do not believe in Isa Islam. They don't believe in Jesus, peace be upon him, the way that you do, that they are different from you, that uh, they insult Isa Islam because they don't hold the Trinity, for example, and they don't hold some of the, uh, the mainstream Christian beliefs about Jesus, peace be upon him, about Isa Islam. And Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu steps forward and he finds no other verses, no other speech, no poetry, nothing that is more fitting than reciting these verses of Surah Maryam about Isa alayhi salam and they brought a Najashi to tears and a Najashi embraced Islam on the basis of the introduction of Isa alayhi salam as comes in Surah Maryam. So it is the surah in which you have the conversion of a Najashi, right? Surah Taha is the surah in which you have the conversion of Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So subhanAllah, the conversion of an Najashi, 
and I just want you to think about the connection between the two. The conversion of a Najashi through Surat Maryam gave the Muslims a safe space in Abyssinia because at that point there's no doubt anymore that a Najashi is not only not going to send them back and not persecute them, but he's even going to join their religion and be a part of them. So at that point, they have complete safety in Abyssinia. There's no more apprehension about whether or not uh, you know things are going to change for them. They knew a Najashi had them and they knew that they had the security provided to them from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through an Najashi. And that's Surah Maryam. Then you get into Surah Taha, Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he went to his sister's home and he recited those verses of Surah Taha and became a Muslim through Surah Taha. It was the Islam of Umar radiallahu anhu that gave the Muslims a sense of power and public uh, a public outcome of their Islam or coming out with their Islam publicly within Mecca. So the solidifying of some level of security and izzah and victory of the Muslims in Mecca came through the Islam of Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, which came through Surah Taha. And the solidifying and power and, and, and access and safety of the Muslims in Abyssinia came through the Islam of al-Najashi, which came through the recitation of Surah Maryam. So subhanAllah, ud'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmati wal mawidati al-hasana. There's no greater da'wah than the Qur'an. There is no greater speech than the Qur'an. There is no greater way to call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the Qur'an. And we see exactly what happened as a result of that uh, within the context of the seerah of the Prophet Then you look at the stories of the Prophets themselves as they relate to the Prophet in this juz. And the stories of the Prophets themselves is one in which du'as are being answered. Du'as are being answered. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going one by one through the stories of these prophets and how they're calling upon Allah and their du'as are actually spelled out. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing us the result of those du'as. And so Allah does not leave a du'a of a prophet in this juz without the answer and the result of that du'a closely following it. So when you look at Surah Al-Kahf, for example, uh, you have the people of the cave, the sleepers of the cave, right? And they called upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their du'a was answered. And now you have in Surah Maryam, every single time in Maryam and Taha, uh, and you go through these surahs, Al-Anbiya, the du'a of a prophet is mentioned, the result comes right after that. However, the result is often different than what they initially called upon Allah with. Some of the other connections that you can make in these surahs that relate to the Prophet is that these du'as were all revolving around the idea of what will come after us. SubhanAllah, every single du'a of the prophets that is mentioned here is so that they could do a better job at their da'wah and so that the da'wah could be long-standing and successful, that it would survive the test of time and the test of persecution. Every single one of their du'as has something to do with that. Whether it was Zakariya asking for Yahya whether it was even Maryam alayhi salam, right? She was worried about, you know, she did not ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a child, but she was worried about what would happen to her and what they would say about the people of deen, what they would say about her family and her name and what that would mean for what she stood for and what her family stood for uh, when they accused her of what they would accuse her with. When you think about Ibrahim alayhi salam, when you think about Musa alayhi salam, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Subhanallah, in Surah Maryam, he's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَجَعَلِي وَزِيرًا مِنْ أَهْلِي هَارُونَ أَخِي Grant me a brother, uh, or grant me uh, nubuwa of my brother, grant me support from my brother, so he can help me with his eloquence, with his support. 
And then in Surah Taha, it's Musa Islam himself asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide his tongue. Both of them are about the legacy of the da'wah, the success of the da'wah, and the da'wah staying uh, firm and surviving the test of persecution and time. Every single one of them. So there's a connection between da'wah to Allah, uh, meaning calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and du'a to Allah, calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the prophets here, all of their stories are about them calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that they could be better at calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you can go one by one and you can measure that inshallah ta'ala. And of course, this was the concern of the Prophet sallallahu The du'as of the Prophet sallallahu that he was making in Mecca were that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would grant legacy to this call of Ibrahim salam and the call of the prophets and that it would survive all of the persecution that was coming his way alayhi salatu wasalam, and he was willing وسلم, to endure the worst of persecution so long as, which is in his dua, so long as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow the da'wah of the Prophet وسلم, to survive and to go forth. The last thing I'll mention here, inshallah ta'ala, then I'll hand it over, the sincerity of the prophets in this regard and the way that the result uh, sometimes, you know, subhanAllah, d- does not actually match with the initial intent of the dua, yet at the same time, the effect of it is blessed. When Zakariya asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a child, and you can connect this to Surah Al-Kahf, Zakariya asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for Yahya so that Yahya could be, and of course Allah named him Yahya, but so that his son Yahya could be a means of continuing the legacy of prophethood and continuing the da'wah, and he did that, alayhi salam. But Yahya, alayhi salam, was, was shaheed, he was martyred, he was killed for his da'wah. And we see in Surah Al-Kahf, subhanAllah, a young child that's also killed, but for the opposite reason. So the point is, is that the way that succession works, the way that legacy works, is very different for each person, each story. However, we see the culmination of calling to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the way that those two things are intertwined in the life of the Prophet as well and how it gave them strength and how these surahs played a role in actually establishing Islam in Abyssinia and in Mecca as well. And inshallah ta'ala, with that, I'll turn it to uh, Dr. Jihad. If you have any reflections, inshallah, then we can move to uh, Shaykh Abdullah. Bismillah. No, alhamdulillah. I think, you know, some of the points that you hit on, um, especially just the dua of the anbiya you know the um allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving us this privilege of having you know sort of like a window into the secret conversations between his anbiya and also himself and and seeing what they're going through at the time i mean this is da'wah within itself you know allowing us to see what they're going through and really resonate in their struggle but also getting this window to these secret conversations. I mean, this is such, you know, such a beautiful opportunity for us, you know, to have these uh, different narratives. Um, and then also, you know, we look at Umar bin al-Khattab um, having these power fig- powerful figures that, um, you know, enter into Islam, you know, and what that does to the overall community. You know, we have more recently uh, Kyrie Irving, and uh, some of the others who, you know, have this clout. You know, I, I, I think about being in the inner city and some of the gang leaders who become Muslim 
and how powerful that is for the overall community. And, you know, it, it really, you know, it's, it speaks to the Muslim community being able to draw these parallels between what we're dealing with today and then also the early Muslim community. But Alhamdulillah, beautiful reflection. Alhamdulillah. I think I think I gotta I, I gotta call it out. The elephant is in the room. Sheikh Jihad, Dr. Jihad is smooth, man. I mean, mashallah, smooth presentation, smooth, mashallah speaks. May Allah bless you, Sheikh. May Allah, may Allah preserve you, mashallah. Very smooth, mashallah. No, no, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, may Allah, may Allah bless you, may Allah bless you. Uh, no, mashallah. I think I think you know what Sheikh Omar was mentioning and, and Dr. Jihad uh, about the importance of being an influence and the importance of you know when you have that position to use it for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and to use it to call people to that which is good. And when you call to people that, to that which is good, there's is prioritizations, right? You prioritize and you know that which is fadl and that which is fadl and mahbul, that which is more preferred over the other. And no doubt that the prophets, السلام, they are the best of individuals that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has brought on this planet and in human existence being that they've been given the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, hence being called a Nabi. And the Nabi is the one that you nas al khair or al khair. They're the one that gives the news and the message to the people. And the chapter of Taha is a very profound chapter amongst the chapters that uh, Sheikh Omar mentioned in regards to this, you know, this just being a juz of, of da'wah, when listening to the chapter of Taha and, and, and reciting it, it talks primarily about Musa salam and his experience. SubhanAllah, there's no prophet that has been mentioned in the Quran like Musa. And that is with ultimately with the wisdom of Al-Hakim, the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why he chose Musa salam. But what's most important is that we look at these stories, even to the Arabic language that has been used and try to extract lifelong benefits and gems that we can implement within ourselves. So inshallah, together inshallah, we want to just cover chapter verse number 77 and 78. When it speaks about, it's right after uh, the story of the magicians that embrace Islam because you know, subhanAllah, when you read roughly around uh, chapter, verse number 50, around that area where Musa salam is speaking with Fir'aun and, and you know, they, they agreed to meet at an area where it would be a festival because Musa was calling him to Islam, but he was calling his people to obviously the kufr and worshiping, worshiping him. He said, as he mentioned, I am your Lord, the most high, which he said, and he felt the threat of Musa. So he said, he told them, uh, you know, to, 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 to bring your people, I'll bring my people and they will meet at a place, at a neutral place. And it will be, as they said, a festival. That they will meet at a festival and when the, in, the, in the morning time, roughly. So Fir'aun turned and he gathered his people, he gathered his plan and they planned and they plotted. And subhanAllah, it gets really descriptive. It's, it's literally like you can paint a picture with what is going on and how a lot verse by verse the picture and saying, okay, this is what is happening. Fir'aun's turning around and planning a plot. Then Musa alayhi salam says this to him. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues on where the magicians came and they came with their uh, sticks and their ropes. And then they threw their sticks and their ropes. For, for, so it was something like a, 
a serpent. It was it was it was made to look like a serpent in front of Musa alayhi salam to the degree that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So Musa had a fear in himself. It was it was a conceived fear within himself when he saw this. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that don't have any fear of Moses, you have the upper hand. In any case, when going through these verses, Musa alayhi salam tells, you know, they tell Musa, he, he throws his staff, his beloved staff that he received at the beginning of the chapter of Musa. At the beginning of chapter of Taha, he throws it. So it swallowed the magicians' ropes and sticks that were that were slithering and looking like they were uh, serpents, as some mentioned. So at that moment, this, the, the magicians, they prostrated. They said, we believe in the Lord of Harun and Moses. Then Pharaoh threatens them. And he says that he will cut you know, one limb from one side, one leg from one side, and then the, the opposite side of the hand, and they will crucify them and put them on on a, on a, on a palm tree. And in any case, after all this takes place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals to Musa, and he uses the verb to reveal. He said, after a'udhu billahi shaitan rajeem, وَلَقَدْ أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَى مُوسَىٰ أَنْ أَسْلِبْ عِبَادِي فَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ طَرِيقًا فِي الْبَحْرِ يَبَسًا لَا تَخَافُ دَرَكًا وَلَا تَخْشَىٰ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the order that he gave to Musa. He says, verily, we revealed to Musa to travel by the night with my servants. And we want to ponder, kind of pick this verse apart. Imagine now there is a threat from Fir'aun to Musa and his followers. And from the followers were, were from those that were following Fir'aun, that were forced, that they said, akratana alayhim in a sihr, that, they were forced to perform the, the actions of sorcery to try to bring fear into Musa. But they ended up becoming Muslim. So Fir'aun is enraged. So Allah tells him, look, take my slaves. And he calls them asli bi'ibadi. Bi'ibadi. Because they made a sacrifice. Because when you read in this story, when, when Fir'aun threatened to kill them, they said, Do as you wish. Do as you wish. We only fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what this is the authority that you think you have is only in this life, but there is something beyond that. So Fir'aun is fuming at this point. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his wisdom tells Moses to travel in the nighttime. And the verse, the, the verb that he uses, asri, which is we, we heard yesterday, Isra wal Mi'raj, is to travel at night. Asri bi ibadi. He tells him to travel uh, with his slaves, <clears throat> with my servants. Uh, and here's the second part. So the first part is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordering him to travel at the nighttime with his servants. And then he tells him uh, to, to hit the sea with that beloved staff. Now this staff has many, many virtues. From them is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, you know, when he told him to hit the staff, when Allah told him to hit with your cane, with your staff, then from it came 12 different springs of water. And some of the scholars mentioned that each spring was for the Asbalt, for each of the tribes of Beni Israel. So here is another situation where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to hit the sea. To hit the sea with it, and he says, it will be a path. Now, this path, what kind of path is it? It's a 
a dry path within the sea. Can you imagine? He tells him to hit the sea with the staff. And then atariqan yabasan. Yabasan means dry, not even like muddy, dry. So when he hits it, the sea parts into 12 different channels, as some scholars say. And the ground, they have to, it, as it parts, they have to walk in the ground and they have to actually run and flee. But the ground is barren and dry. That's why Allah makes the point, he says, yabasan, that it is dry. And then after that, he says, he says, travel by night with my slaves and hit the sea, fearing neither nor being overtaken. Do not have any fear of Pharaoh and his army approaching you. Do not fear that you will drown. And this is important because throughout you know, Moses' stories, alayhi salam, he mentions numerous times that he's scared. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be scared when you are challenged with something in life. It's okay to say, Ya Rabbi, I'm scared. To tell your father, your mother, I'm scared. When it's a mission that you're trying to fulfill for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's okay to have fear. That's a part of the process. It's human. And Moses said that numerous times. That verily I fear that Fir'aun will go beyond the bounds or will, will violate. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do not have any fear, for verily we are with you. When you practice the sharia, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, when you practice with ikhlas and you have fear, this is okay. But having ultimate tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah is telling Musa this, and he's also telling you. He's also telling you. When Musa was given the staff, at the beginning of the chapter, and we see in the chapter of Namal, verse number 10, when he was given the staff, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, throw the staff, and it turned into a hayyatan tas'a, it turned into a serpent that was moving. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that Musa, that he turned and ran, and Allah even gets specific, said, he didn't even turn around, he fled. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, don't be scared. So when realizing this, brothers and sisters, Musa alayhi salam, fulfilled the mission. Even though he was he was fearful from Fir'aun, he was fearful from the situation that took place, Allah told him, go into this sea that has been parted 12 ways for each tribe of Bani Israel, and there was dry ground. That is amazing in and of itself. If this is amazing, trust me, go on. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after that, Then Allah, Fir'aun and his army followed them, and then they were covered by the sea at, an, at a surmountable, at an amount that Allah knows. And in Yam, some scholars say, is a big, deep, deep sea that has been, that is engulfed and covered Fir'aun and caused him to drown. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after that, uh, and Fir'aun misguided his people and did not guide them. And that is an interesting point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he misguided them and did not guide them. Right, so we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that Fir'aun is misguided, but Allah makes tawqeed and a surety that there was no form of guidance from Fir'aun because earlier in the chapter, we or not in the chapter, we see in the chapter of Al Ghafir where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the statement of Fir'aun, uh, that uh, that he, he, uh, I do not say anything except that this is my position and I am not calling you except to that which is a form of guidance. So realizing, brothers and sisters, that this story of Musa, alayhi salam, 
if we can take an opportunity to read it and understand this beautiful event that took place and that Musa salam, was a human being. And we see that throughout numerous uh, you know, instances of his life and of his prophethood, that reminds us that there is opportunity for us to always be better people. Do not let fear hold you back from worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you're in the path of worshiping Allah, doing something that is good for Islam and you have fear, continue on. For verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all hearing and the all seeing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us all, inshallah. Shaykh Abdullah, subhanAllah, it seems like, as you can see, sincerity and vulnerability are not a contradiction to each other. Just because you're vulnerable doesn't mean you're insincere. It's how you channel that vulnerability that, that makes you sincere. And so these prophets, we're seeing their vulnerability, but that's not a slight on them. It even increases our admiration of them, subhanAllah. Shazakallah, Shaykh Abdullah. Dr. Jihad, take us away, Shaykh. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على خير المرسلين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد first of all Sheikh Abdullah Alhamdulillah you're hitting on some very important some significant points when we look at um, you know even the the communities in the inner city how they do what is called story linking you know drawing the parallels between many of the stories, especially you thinking about the black church and also the black masjid, so many parallels between the story of even what's taking place and the story of Musa alayhi salam. Um, without, uh, you know, uh, delaying this, we're going to go right into the dua. But first we have, This is important, this command, go to Fir'aun. Indeed, he has uh, transgressed this and we know that Musa alayhi salam needing some some tools before going to uh, Fir'aun and before saying this very powerful this very powerful dua and we look at this conversation between Musa alayhi salam and this seclusion between him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his request as it begins right uh, we look at this particular uh, dua, my Lord, expand for me my chest and ease for me my task. And this idea that is placed forth in this dua, sharhu sadr, as um, this expanding of the chest. What does this mean? Asabuni, he says that this means really to illuminate the heart with Iman. And there's other interpretations. But we look at why did Musa السلام, need his chest expanded? You know, we go to Surah Al-Shu'ara uh, in which Musa السلام, he mentions sadri. he says, I fear my, my chest with tighten. So imagine Musa السلام, and this is why people can relate so much to Musa alayhi salam. This idea of having his test, his chest tightened. You know, we look at people going through depression. We look at people going through very mo moments of, uh, you know, feeling dejected and, and sad and, and worried and anxious, right? It's when your emotional state has paralyzed you and you're, it's very difficult to complete the task. Musa alayhi salam, he wanted to be in the best 
state of mind. Everyone has a Fir'aun, a Pharaoh that they must face. And you want to face that Fir'aun in a very healthy state of mind. So this is just really trying to gain this understanding how when we go through this, our biggest challenges in life, you have what can lie in between the person and their success is this negative psychological states, anxiety, depression, so on and so forth. So Musa alayhi salam, he wanted to be in a healthy mindset. Some of the, the ulama have interpreted this as Musa alayhi salam asking for hikmah, asking for wisdom, asking for self-confidence or contentment and you know put my mind at ease or give me a you know have a peace of mind or even knowledge right so we want to go we have to make sure that we go and visit what was taking place 10 years prior to this particular uh dua we know from the story of musa salam, what he was going through in regards to him enjoying status in Egypt. He was raised in the house of the Pharaoh. He was raised in the house of Fir'aun. And him going through the incident where, as Allah mentions in the Quran, that he struck an individual and he ended up killing this individual, right? So you have where we relate to Musa. You know, I think about the brothers who are incarcerated. I think about the brothers growing up in the inner city, the brothers and sisters growing up in the inner city. When you look at Musa accidentally killing someone, placed in a situation where he's a fugitive on the run, the most one of the most beloved servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now a fugitive on the run. We look at even the story of Yusuf alayhi salam finding himself in prison we look at individuals asia being married to a, a tyrant right and ibn abbas he describes musa he's going from egypt to median only eating plants and leaves right musa salam, a fugitive he has a bounty on his neck he's living in fear musa is he's he's homeless he he's hungry right so we have to look at what is taking place before this this dua. Rabbish rahli sadri wa yassirli amri wa hlul uqda tammil lisani yafqahu qawli. And moving on to this this other part of the dua that and untie the knot from my tongue, right? That they may understand my speech. So Musa, we know when he was younger as a child his tongue, as some of the narratives say, that his tongue was burnt by hot coal, right? And this part of the dua is really asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to allow his deficiencies to paralyze him, not to allow his deficiencies to prevent him from gaining success on his mission, his mission to face Fir'aun, right? And Musa, as we see, Musa having a lot of fears and, and insecurities, you know, dealing with, you know, his, his, the uh, potential of his, his, his chest tightening, right? Dealing with his speech, may, not being as clear as say his brother, right? 
But Musa alayhi salam, he was chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be put in his position. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best who to put in these leadership positions. That you have Musa alayhi salam, so many things he had went through, but now he's speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That sometimes we count each other out, never count your brother and sister out. You see, Musa killed an individual, was a fugitive on the run, homeless and hungry. And now, Musa that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that Allah spoke to Musa directly. Now he's speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Going on in this particular dua, this dua is powerful. And appoint for me a minister from my family. Haruna Akhi. Aaron, my brother. Ushdudibihi Azri. Increase through him my strength. Wa ashriku fi amri. And let him share my task. And here, what we realize is that Musa, السلام, he's needing help. This is the dua, the part of the dua that propelled his brother into prophethood. We can't do this alone. We sometimes have this idea that we want to be on the mountaintop by ourselves. We can't do this alone. That we can't, even if you're in a position of leadership, you're going to always need the help of your brother and sister. This idea of I want to be on the mountaintop alone. Look at Musa, alayhi salam. He's praying for his brother, and this propelled his brother, Harun, into prophethood. And this is important for us as a Muslim community. Instead of dividing, let us look at Musa, the example of Musa, alayhi salam, and making dua for our brother and sister because we need their assistance. And beautifully, the dua here, it makes a shift into um, this you know, first person, but it's plural, right? It makes a shift, a beautiful part of this dua. And this dua goes on to say that we may exalt you much and remember you much. Indeed, you are with us ever seeing. And this dua, this the last three parts of this dua, it switches. Now it's about the community. You can't forget about the community. Being able to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the community setting. We, we're praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala together. You see the beautiful ending of this uh, dua. Now you have this beginning commandment. Go to Fir'aun. Indeed, he has trans transgressed. Musa, he had these requests. And this is this dua in which Musa السلام, had this request. Now he's ready to face Fir'aun. His mind and his heart are prepared now. His confidence is up now. His brother is at his side, right? And they're able to exalt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala together. They're able to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala together. And for us, what we can take from this 
is that all of us have, have a fir'aun, a pharaoh that we have to face. And we have to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to expand our chest. Our chest being the home of our heart. You see, human beings, we love expansion. We love bigger cars, bigger homes. But what about the home of the qalb, of the heart? And we ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who are able to realize this particular uh, you know, uh, dua. We look at this, this ayat that was revealed that comes after this dua in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he accepts this dua of Musa alayhi salam, but he goes on and he says, and we had already conferred upon you uh, another time. He's reminding Musa alayhi salam, we answered dua before. Whenever you're, you're making dua and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't forget that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has answered many of your requests, your supplications before. Sometimes we approach dua as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has never answered our supplications. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always been there. He's never left. He reminds Musa alayhi salam, I've always been there. I've been there since you were a child. I've always been right there. So I'm answering your dua right now, but I've always answered your supplications. So we ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who are able to, even if it's in English, recite this beautiful dua of Musa. And I did no justice to this beautiful uh, dua, but our homework is to read over it and read some of the explanations involved in this dua of Musa alayhi salam. Jazakallahu khayran, Dr. Jihad, beautiful reflections. SubhanAllah, you know, I remember one of the ulama, he said that no person has ever done a favor to another as great as Musa to Harun. It was by his dua he became a prophet. Mm. <laughs> SubhanAllah, what, what a favor, you know, and, and you talk about building each other up and moving people forward. I was thinking about the brothers of Yusuf salam. They wanted to put Yusuf salam, you know, in a well. They wanted to kill him and get rid of him out of jealousy. Musa Islam wants his older brother to share in prophethood with him. And that, mm. that in and of itself is noble. And the fact that, by the way, you know, I, I think that um, I'll just end on this because uh, I got asked this question about, um, you know, prophets and sins. And we say prophets, according to our creed, do not commit major sins before or after prophethood. And so, many of the scholars mentioned that the man that Musa Islam killed, the reason why he got involved in that fight was on the basis of a noble, faulty assumption. Mm. saw an Egyptian man uh, fighting with a man from Bani Israel. You have the oppressors and the oppressed. So Musa Islam intervened out of a noble intention, right, to help the uh, the, ben, the man from Bani Israel against the you know the people of Fir'aun against uh, the man that was fighting him, and in the process, not only took on the wrong party, but uh, in, in the process actually killed the man by accident. So Subhanallah, right. even that was noble. So it was not al-qatil, um, but of course, you know, for for all of us. Uh, you know, some of the, the greatest companions of the Prophet some had indeed committed major sins before they became Muslim and they rose to be the heroes of Islam. So with prophets, they have a different maqam, but the lesson is still there. They have a different station, but the lesson is still there. But we see with the companions of the Prophet them all types of uh, prior lives before they came into Islam and then prior experiences that were fashioned into just this beautiful community that we hope that we can be a part of. So Jazakallah khair for the beautiful reflection, Shaykh. Oh, yeah, going to have a
Sheikh Abdullah, would you have anything else you want to say? Uh, no, alhamdulillah. I mean, there's there's a there's a lot there. I mean, mashallah to barakallah. I mean, I like how he tied it into you know Musa. Just just this just the, like you said, the vulnerability of a situation. It really humanizes the prophets, which is important for us as people that are you know going through things in life. You know, it's very important that we don't make them like they're make believe. But these are things that really took place, and then automatically when we read an experience or something that took place, we put it on ourselves. And you see how you how you just mentioned the du'a of Musa made Harun a prophet. And I was thinking about when, you know, when Musa grabbed him by his whatever you see, you think brother doing that. I mean, I'm almost sure that happened. You know, you know, I mean, I was an older brother, you know, so I probably <laughs> I did it to my younger brother. <laughs> you know what I'm but I read that I was like, wow, just alhamdulillah, yeah. I mean, it, it's beautiful. I, I really hope that you viewing now, mashallah, or whenever that you take the opportunity to read, take the opportunity to read the story of Musa, particularly in the chapter of Taha. And subhanAllah, and uh, you know, look at ourselves and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for thabat, for steadfastness, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Dr. Jihad, we really appreciated having you on. Inshallah, um, for the benefit of the audience, but the night, uh, the uh, Yaqeen last tonight finished Ramadan Strong webathon will be the Sunday, inshallah ta'ala. Alhamdulillah, Dr. Jihad will be joining us there as well, inshallah ta'ala. So we're very happy to have you, inshallah. You'll be a regular. Uh, with us with the night time. May Allah reward you for the great work that you're doing with the Islam. Mm -hmm. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to grant you success. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, continue to allow you to benefit and, and uh, to be elevated in this life and the next. Allahumma ameen. Alhamdulillah. That's a, yeah. a, a privilege being before you all. And alhamdulillah, you know, I'm, I'm a fan, you know, so to be on here um, is definitely an honor. And, um, you know, you all are doing some beautiful work, some great work, you know, impacting the entire uh, in the entire world. You know, so Alhamdulillah, you know, I, I'm, I'm honored to be on, uh, you know, this platform. And, you know, Alhamdulillah, we just just getting started, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. So we'll see you Sunday, Sheikh, inshallah. And for everyone else, we'll see you tomorrow, inshallah, for Quran 30 for 30. Please do go to yaqeenistude.org slash Ramadan, download the ebooks, support Yaqeen, and support Islah LA with the night ta'ala. Barakallahu feekum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. There's this emphasis throughout the Quran and the Sunnah on asabiqun al-awwalun, the first, the forerunners, those that rush to do good. And we are to study them so that we can learn the lessons from them and that we can, in some ways, even be them. So please join me for this series, inshallah, which will be going on for a very long time, inshallah ta'ala, where we talk about the firsts and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us from as-sabiqoon al-awwaloon, to make us from those firsts on the Day of Judgment that rush to the uh, fountain of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that are joined with him in Jannat al-Firdaus. Allahumma ameen. I look forward to having you follow along, inshallah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.